You know, if, if you've ever read or, or seen in the news, and, and maybe you've experienced this personally, um, there's a, a pretty huge epidemic going on around us these days called identity theft. You know what I'm talking about with that? It's where people's identity is stolen and used to, say, open credit cards and or credit cards stolen and then used as if those belong to the person using them. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sophisticated ways this is happening. Anywhere from um, credit card readers that people actually carry on them, and if they're next to you waiting in line, they can actually get your credit card information. Are you aware of this? Uh, it's scary. Or um, I've heard of even ATMs where they put a little tiny device on the ATM itself where it seems as if it belongs to the ATM, and you put your card in, swipe it, and nothing comes out, and you're like, huh, that's weird, and you drive on, and what you've just done is given your information to whoever put that device there for a period of time. Um, it's also been shown that uh, credit card companies, and uh, we've even seen, uh, what was it, uh, the big bank that l- recently, they were opening up false accounts for people, and I mean, this is, this is crazy what's going on. Um, even uh, what's happened in recent days, I've heard, as chip readers have come into play on credit cards themselves, uh, those who seek to uh, promote fraud have come up with new ideas and ideas of how to uh, scam people and, and steal identities. Something like $15 billion was stolen from people via identity theft last year alone. Uh, millions and millions of people affected by it. Just curious, have any of you been affected by identity theft. Um, wow. And, and you know, it's real to you. And getting your life back together when that happens is overwhelming. Uh, but what I'd like you to do is raise your hand right now. All of you. Because the reality is all of us have been affected by identity theft. And, and this is what I mean. This is a bigger epidemic than just what I talked about so far. I am convinced of this. We all have uh, had our identity stolen in the brokenness of this fallen world. Uh, where we, we get caught up in the idea that I am, I, I get my identity and my purpose and my meaning based on what I get for Christmas presents for people and, and, and shopping and trying to decorate to make my house look beautiful. I, that's what really matters this time of year. Or maybe your identity is all caught up in your profession or, or your identity in, in becoming successful. The kind of car you drive, the kind of clothes you wear. All these things can start to identify us. Maybe your identity is based on how successful your kids have become. Maybe your identity is based in your relationship status. And you say, I didn't expect to be single at this time in my life. I didn't expect to be in this place in my life. And yet, where is my identity today? Guess what I'm getting at is when our identity is based on things or circumstances or relationships, where do we stand on any given day? Well, the answer to that is our identity is only as secure as those things are, as only secure as, as my stock portfolio, or only as, as secure as my position at the place I work, or only as secure as, as the checks that come in the mail, or only as, 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 as secure as, the, yeah, I can say that really, um, is, 
as the relationships that hold up and what happens when relationships fall apart. What happens when the Christmas gifts that we're trying to get just aren't possible or the people we give them to you and you realize they're disappointed or the list goes on. What happens when our sense of identity is based on success and we realize internally there's internal turmoil going on for us and, and we are failing? And maybe that's an insecurity. Maybe it's based on the reality because there's an addiction in our life that continues to plague us and we're overwhelmed by that. Maybe it's overwhelmed because those relationships have truly fallen apart in our life and we weren't expecting to be alone at this point in our life. Where's your identity found today? I want you to keep thinking about that a little bit because I find it very helpful to see today that we have an identity crisis in God's word. A guy by the name of John the Baptist, it's not the first week he's shown up in our weekly readings during Advent. You know, John, if there was ever anybody who should have had a very clear sense of his identity and his purpose and calling in life, it was John. I mean, you, you see his early story of, of how the angel Gabriel visits his dad, Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. He was getting ready to go on duty in the temple that day and, and was going to go uh, to offer uh, prayers for God's people. And, and God reveals to, to Zechariah, you're, you're going to have a son, which is really big news because kind of like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were very well along in age and past the days of childbearing, and it, and it was a really a frustrating thing in their life, we, we discover. This, this should not have happened at this point in life, and yet the angel says to Zechariah, your wife, Elizabeth, she's going to give birth. And he's like, come on! Well, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. How is this possible? And the angel actually calls him on and says, okay, if you're going to doubt God's ability, you're not going to be able to speak, and he goes mute. Uh, for the coming days. He can't even tell people about what he has heard. And Elizabeth then becomes with child and, and gives birth to John. Now before she does, and this child that the angel says is going to be the one who will go before the Messiah. I mean, this is a really big deal. People had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for God's answer to what he had promised in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah alone has all of these promises, hundreds of them throughout the Old Testament, telling of the one who was to come, who would rescue, redeem, set free God's people, and they were waiting, longing for that promised one. And imagine being Zechariah told that your son is going to be the forerunner, the one who will prepare the way for the Lord. This is a pretty amazing thing. Now John, even when he's in the womb, encounters Messiah Jesus. And Elizabeth goes and there's Mary and Elizabeth spending time together. And Elizabeth feels her baby, John the Baptist, leap for joy in the presence of the Holy One of God, Jesus, in Mary's belly. I mean, this this is early on. Talk about a secure calling. Now we find out we don't know much about John the Baptist's early childhood years, but as he grows and once his ministry begins, it's very clearly marked by one who has one calling out in the wilderness. He lives in the wilderness. He wears really fine clothes made out of camel's hair, right? And uh, like that old show, Fear Factor, he eats locusts. That's his primary uh, diet. And, and, and much in line with the prophets of the Old Testament, 
this guy was eccentric and different. There was something clearly unique about John the Baptist and his message of calling people to repentance, calling out, preparing the way for the Lord out in the wilderness, and people would flock to come and hear his message. And then that one day comes where people have started to say, well, you must be the Messiah. And he says, no, not me. I'm not even fit to tie the sandals of Messiah. I baptize with water, but after me is going to come one who's going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit, talking about Jesus and Pentecost and how God would come and transform hearts. John made it clear. He says, I'm not that guy. And then that day comes where Jesus approaches and and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, I must become less that he might become greater. John recognized his calling and that sense of where he was, his identity as a prophet, the forerunner of the Messiah, which makes today's reading very perplexing because we find out Unlike a lot of us who grow up reading scripture and assuming the people in the Bible were these heroes and giants of faith who never doubted, never questioned, never had bad days. And I remember that as a kid thinking, oh, they they never ever had questions. And yet we find even John, someone whose identity you would think is so secure, so clear, so focused, we find John having a doubt and a question. We read this, and in Matthew chapter 11, we find out that John was imprisoned. And a little historical context to this, uh, Herod Antipas uh, put him in prison. He was imprisoned along the sea, uh, the Dead Sea, in this compound where, where he was held. Uh, John had been very outspoken about Herod as, as a ruler, and, and in particular had criticized his marriage to Herodias, who was the wife of his brother Philip. Not John's brother, but uh, Herod's brother. And uh, John outwardly uh, really pointed this out as being wrong, uh, immoral, and, and pointed this out and made a public display of that. But, but also what was going on politically is a very uneasy time, and anyone who would suggest that they're a forerunner of, of a Messiah or of a, of a future leader made current leaders very nervous. Herod was nervous. John was gathering quite a following and we find out he finally had him imprisoned. And the idea was Herod very likely was going to put John to death at some point. He's on death row. And that actually does happen eventually. But while John is sitting there in prison, we find out that his disciples came to visit him. And, And it says that he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It's a surprising question. Let me put this in perspective again. His entire life has been set up to prepare the way for Jesus. And yet in this moment, he's asking, are you really the one? And in essence, have I wasted my life? Am I in prison for nothing? Have you ever been in that prison? The prison of doubt. The prison of despair. The prison that says, I wonder if my life really matters. 
I wonder if this calling over my life, my identity, really is what I thought it was. For a lot of people, when they face those identity crises, maybe it's a certain age in their life, you know, they call it midlife crisis. Others, maybe it's the death of a loved one. And suddenly you didn't expect to be single at this point in your life, to be a widow or a widower. Maybe it's losing your job. Maybe it's a family turmoil that you didn't expect or see coming. Maybe it's a battle with depression where a diagnosis from the doctor that says you're going to be dealing with this. And you're like, I didn't sign up for that. My identity is different than all of those things. And yet, embracing a new identity, being in the prison of doubt, in the prison of despair, and asking the question, Jesus, are you really who you said you are? Or should I expect someone else? And sometimes that identity crisis is the realization that maybe our identity has really along the way been stolen and we are putting more emphasis on all the stuff and all the circumstances than rather on the one who gives us identity and meaning beyond all of that. So John asks him, are you the one? And and, and if so, how do we know? (laughs) Now when he goes, the disciples go to Jesus and I love Jesus' response. I mean, really, is seeking validation. And, and I, I'm not sure, you know, there's very sophisticated ways these days for validating your identity. Have you you've noticed this? You know, sometimes, uh, any of you have any pass codes or pass keys for anything? I have like 89 of them. You know, it's just, it's overwhelming and having a password for everything and more and more complex and more and more characters to identify who you are. And your social security number is an important passcode. Uh, there's, there's also technology now, you know, you can, like even on an iPhone, fingerprint readers on, to even log into an iPhone. I mean, think about that. Or a retina readers on the eye and, and all this sophisticated stuff and it's getting more and more complex. And John as his disciples go, go ask Jesus, is he the one? How do we know? What's going to be the identifier and the validator of who Jesus is? Notice he doesn't share a password, but he does tell who he is by what he does. And he says this to this. I love this answer. So Jesus replied to the question, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. These are all actions that were long foretold in the days of the Old Testament, in the days of Isaiah in particular. Think about how Isaiah 35 that we read earlier in our time today. It just says the day is coming where these things will happen. Where it will occur that someone will come who will bring sight to the blind. Who will, uh, le- will heal those who can't walk. Uh, he goes on and says the, the lame will, will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Isaiah 35 says, or Isaiah 26, verse 19 says, your dead will come back to life. Your body will rise up. Wake up and shout joyfully. Or think about Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Those words, which would begin Jesus' ministry in one of those glimpses we have in his early life where he walks into the temple one day, stands up to read the scroll that's laid out, and he reads that passage from Isaiah, and he pauses and he says, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Tell John what you see and tell John what you hear. Validation that I am who you think I am. I am who I said I am. I am who the scriptures have proclaimed for centuries that the day would come where true identity that would change everything would occur. And a God who comes into the brokenness of humanity for just such a time as this in the face of identity crisis and a God who says, I am who I said I am. And a God who redefines who you are today. One who may be brokenhearted. One who may be discouraged. One who may have doubts or fears. And a God who comes to be the answer for all of it. He is who he says he is. It validates what true faith is today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. In just the right time, in just the right way that you came to answer our longings, to have true identity, to have true security, to have true faith. And Lord, you are the answer for all of it. We thank you that you come among us today. Help us not to hurry off and focus on other ways of trying to find identity and purpose and meaning in this world. But teach us today, in your presence, to be still and to see and to hear and be reminded again what our true identity is as people who trust in you as Lord and Savior. We praise you for who you are and fulfilling your promise and following through to be that Savior who gives us true identity today in validation in Jesus' name. We praise you. Amen.